0: Jesus asked them, what were you discussing on the way? And they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and says to them, if anyone desires to be first, he will be of all last and of all a servant. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Jesus probably had this experience a lot. Maybe you have as well. He walks into this group, the chattering group, says, how are things going? And crickets, not a word. It's kind of funny if you think about it, all the noise going on, especially that it wasn't just chattering, but we're told the disciples were actually arguing that when Jesus goes in and asks them, there's no silence. He's just nodding all along there. And I kind of doubt that Jesus had to Uh, exercise a whole lot of uh, supernatural clairvoyance to know just what it was they were arguing about. Uh, In my picture, anyway, it's more like uh, perhaps a a seasoned middle school teacher walking into a classroom full of giggling 6th grade boys. She probably does not need to uh, ask exactly what it is of the one or two things they might be giggling about when they go silent. She just kind of knows because she knows them. Like Jesus, knows his disciples, knows us, knows their hearts. And so to him, those disciples' silence speaks volumes. So it's about the greatest again. Uh, we're told that he sits down, which is kind of code back then for classes in session. An ancient rabbi would sit down when it was time to teach. So Jesus sits down, calls the the class to session, calls them around him, and then gives the day's lesson. If anyone desires to be first, he will be of all last and of all a servant. Uh, Now you may have noticed that that is a little bit different than what I read from the ESV translation from, from the Big Bible. There it was, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Um, Which might sound a lot to you like it's pretty much the same thing as if you desire to be first, you will be last. But it's actually quite different. The first one, my translation, anyone desiring to be first, he will be of all last and of all a servant. That's just kind of a description of the way things work in the world, what Jesus is saying. Like other descriptions, we might have little wise quips, like early bird gets the worm, or happy wife, happy life. Just stuff we know. By the way, when I thought of that, I thought it would be funny if I could think of something, happy husband, but nothing rhymes with husband. So (laughs) Maybe there's a reason for that. So I digress. Different sermon. Point is, This, if you want to be first, you will be servant of all, is like that. Which is very different from what we heard, which isn't quite right. If you would be first, then you must be last and a servant. Which sounds more like a strategy. Maybe like Jesus is saying to his disciples, Okay, I get the fact that you want to be first. That's all fine and dandy. But you're going going about being first the wrong way. If you want to be first, you need to be first by being last. But that's the wrong translation. Part of the reason that the translators got it wrong is because they're natural born legalists who want to make everything about them. And they like strategies, just like we do. We like strategies and tips for things we're supposed to do. But Jesus is not giving a strategy about how to be first, not even if it's by being last. If you want to be first, you will be last, and everyone's servant is in a strategy. It's a truth. And like most of these kind of sayings, early bird, happy wife, it's a truth you already know is true, even if you don't really live by it. Which might not make any sense to you yet. (laughs) I might have lost you with the translation stuff. So let me give you some examples of what I mean by this wisdom that Jesus drops on his disciples. If you want to be first, if your ambition is to be first, if you live to be first, you will be last, and you will be servant. This is a made-up example. Eric and I. Eric's not made up. He's real, but this is a, a made-up example. Eric and I are probably the two people who spend more time in this place than anyone else. And Eric is super cool. That's not made up either. And handsome. Well, you'll get the points about it. I want to say that every time. You'll get to the end, the parts that are made up. Eric is super cool. He's very handsome. He's funny. He's a snazzy dresser. People love Eric, and, and rightly so. A tremendous musician adds things to our worship with his fingers and feet, frees our, our spirits to soar in praise. So Eric rightly gets lots of compliments and, and attaboys around here. Now imagine me seeing all of that. I say to myself, i got to make myself first around here. And as soon as I do that, what happens? What do I start doing? I start watching Eric even more closely. Every time he says something funny, I go online and Google jokes and find something even funnier. He wears something snazzy. I'm snazzy or he, uh, he uh, does something wonderful on the, the piano. I really spend extra time in the sermon that week to make it a real, a real zinger. In other words, seeking to be first my whole life. And everything I do is captivated, gets wrapped up in watching Eric and reacting to everything that he does to make sure that I say first of him. Everything I do is driven by what Eric does. Or another way to put that, I become Eric's servant. Now, in this story, you might recognize that Eric being as self-assured and everything as he is, he's completely oblivious to the fact, but that doesn't matter. Nonetheless, when it's my goal to be first, he becomes my master, driving everything I do. Lives rent-free in my head, as the saying goes. If I want to be first to Eric, I become Eric's slave. Again, you can understand the parts that are that are goofy and made up, but you get the point. It's easy to think of this. If you want to be first, if your ambition is to be first, you will be servant in small systems like that, with just me and Eric, or maybe another one that you do know that's not made up, Cain and Abel. A system of two, big bro Cain, insists on being first when little bro Abel gets the attaboy from God. Whose servant is Cain? He is Abel's servant. Everything he does, he is driven by. In this case, driven to killing Abel is driven by what Abel has done. Cain wants to be first to Abel, ends up being his servant. More modern example. In his autobiography about his life in tennis, Andre Agassi talks about the slavery. The slavery that came to him with having to be number one. He, of course, was the number one, the best tennis player in the world for some time. But in that book, he talks about how horrible that was. About how his wanting to be first and only wanting that was an absolute slavery. All the stuff he had to give up to keep that became for him a servanthood, a slavery. A slave to having to be number one. Constantly aware of what every other male tennis player in the world was doing, actually hoping they'd mess up or get injured so that he could stay number one. Again, fixate on first. You'll end up being servant. It's all over the place. With about 30 seconds, I could give you, and you could come up with a dozen examples from just looking around, most of them from just looking at yourself. Wherever you're seeking to be first. Which is not the same with being good at stuff. Please be good at stuff. Um, hone your craft. Sharpen your minds. Be healthy. But wherever it is that you're seeking to be first and you need to be first, I can guarantee that you are thereby a servant to some other. Do you have to be first in your marriage? If you do, it means you are constantly keeping track of what your spouse is doing or is not doing, which means you constantly have to watch and react to everything they do, which means you are your spouse's servant and not in a good way. Is it really important for you to be the first grandparents, like the best set, so that you are always watching the other set, to make sure that you get as much time with the grandkids or one up them at Christmas time. If so, everything you do, driven by what they do, seeking to be first to them, you are their servant. They pull your strings, they've mastered you. you need to be the most popular or the coolest kid at your school, and maybe you even are. But if you are, in addition, in addition to being the coolest kid at your school, you are also the servant to every single one of your classmates what you wear, how you talk, the friends you have, the pics you post, all driven, all determined by a need to impress them, seeking to be first, you are their servant. If anyone desires to be first, he will be last of all and of all a servant. All of us, in one way, or probably a dozen ways, seeking to make ourselves first, And in doing so, only make ourselves servants. Which I like, I said before, something with a little bit of thought and introspection and honesty, all of us knew already. We didn't need Jesus to tell us how seeking to be first will trap you, enslave you, and leave you dead last. But we do need Jesus. To free us from that we do need Jesus to free us from this compulsion this addiction really to begin to, to free us from that and he doesn't do us do it do that by by telling us about it that first part of the sermon he doesn't do it by telling us about it and saying tis tis how dare you be first he doesn't say to those disciples you know what you shouldn't be first that's stupid and it is and it's not going to get you there he does say that but he doesn't then say, no, now sit down, pull out your tablets, and I want you to all write or carve whatever they did a hundred times. I will not seek to be first. He doesn't do that because he knows first it wouldn't change anything, and probably worse than that, it would just turn into a race to see who could be first in writing their sentences. And what did Jesus do? He took a child and put him in the midst of them and took him up in his arms. Just concentrate on that simple action. And in the midst of this big conversation, maybe they use big words, they probably were, trying to impress one another and, and, uh, and dropping uh, references to uh, journal articles they'd read recently and stuff like that. Big question about who's the brightest and the best and the top dog. Right in the midst of that, Jesus grabs the runt of the litter. Jesus latches on to this unsuspecting, stinky, anxious, scared, vulnerable rug rat of a kid... One who's hardly even been initiated into this foolish game of who's going to be first. And Jesus puts him right in the center. Right in the center of it all. Puts him right in the center of the debate about who's going to be first and makes him first. He wraps his arms around this little child. He embraces this little child in the fold of his arms, the very arms which he's just said at the beginning of that, that he is soon to spread his arms in love for the world and for the life of the world. He takes those arms and wraps them around that little kid. I think it's poignant how Jesus doesn't try to argue his disciples out of their stupid compulsion just lays it out there. If you try to be first, you end up last. Instead of of trying to argue them out of it, he just distracts them. He he takes off this little child. It's like he wants the disciples to, to look and say to themselves, how stupid could we be? Here we are over here arguing about who's going to be the first, a kind of first which only leaves us sad and servants. And over here is the very Son of God, our great rabbi, handing out free hugs a picture of that little child. We've got one up there. I'm now going to tell a story which I've probably told about three times. (laughs) I'll probably tell it 30 more in the time I'm here. I'll probably tell it every time one of these texts about uh, uh, Jesus and the children comes up. It's not my story. It's a story that a previous pastor here, Pastor Dave Carrot, interim pastor, recently passed away, uh, told once upon a time. It's my favorite story of his. If by some chance I had been the one to preach at his funeral sermon, I would have told this story. Um, evidently, when David, uh, when Dave was very young, and he was adopted, which maybe adds some impact to the story, I'm not sure. When he was very young, he was at church with his mother. Maybe his father, too, but he, the, the mother he was sitting next to. And there we go, something like this, in his church, and as his... Uh, uh, mind was want to do his mind wandered and so he nudges his mom during the middle of this sermon and he's looking up at the window and he says mama what's the name of that little that little boy sitting on jesus lap and his mom without missing a beat said that little boy's name is david oh, David said "Oh, he thought that was super cool he even thought it was cooler later in life when he realized that the little child's name wasn't really david in even cooler and cooler light when he realized that it really was David. <laughs> that the reason they had that window, the same reason that Jesus took up that little child in his arms in Mark chapter 9, so it was so that all of the children would know, all the stinky, anxious, scared, vulnerable rug rats of a child would know that he had a place, that she had a place in Jesus' arms as well, on his lap. Even especially in unsuspecting stinky anxious scared vulnerable rugrat of a child like you and like me that's the picture of you in the window i'm going to keep telling that story of uh that dave told every time one of these sorts of texts come up because i love being reminded that the name of that little boy in that picture is ben and i'm going to keep telling it too so that every time you come into this building and your mind wanders during a sermon You can look up at that window and know that that child's name is Jack or Jill or Megan or Sarah or Oscar or whatever your name might be. It's good that the little child there is sufficiently androgynous that it can fit for all of us. (laughs) In terms of seeking to be first, I'm not going to ask you to write sentences or try to argue you out of that. You already know that that garbage is foolish and only ends up making you a servant. Instead, I'll just remind you that you are that little child taken up in the folds of Jesus' arms. He has made you, each and every one of you, the very center of his world. From all eternity and then sealed in holy baptism placed you right at the center of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If God slept, when he wakes up in the morning, it would be you. You would be the very first thing on his mind. It would make him smile to think of you. If God had a cell phone and you called him and left a message, he would save your messages right at the top of his list so that every day he could listen to your message first because he so, so loves to hear your voice. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to live and die and rise again. And then get this. Then some 2,000 years later, of all the churches in the world, think of them, millions, right? Of all the churches in the world, he led you to the one church that has a great big window with a picture of you sitting on Jesus' lap. In the name of the Father and the Son,